The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. For more than 30 years, I taught the wrong stuff to generations of students. I taught them that a low-fat, high-carb diet was the way to eat to prevent chronic disease. And I got it wrong, says Dr. David Harper, the co-author of The Bio Diet, the scientifically proven ketogenic way to lose weight and improve health. Harper goes on to say, we now have 20 years of scientific evidence that a well-formulated ketogenic diet reduces chronic disease. Harper is focused on cancer and he stresses the ketogenic diet is not a cure for cancer, rather it is an effective adjunct therapy along with the standard of care. Until recently, Harper was a visiting scientist at BC Cancer Research Center, Terry Fox Laboratory. His research indicates a ketogenic diet has multiple health benefits in cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and weight reduction. The axis of illness, according to Harper, are insulin resistance, obesity, and inflammation, all of which are fueled by carbohydrates, which lead to chronic diseases. A keto diet coupled with exercise is an effective way to diminish weight, inflammation, and reduce insulin resistance. I invited Dr. David Harper to join me for a conversation that matters about food as medicine. Welcome. Great. Thanks to be. Thanks. Great to be here, Stuart. Uh, I look forward to having a conversation <laughs> with you about med, uh, food as medicine and uh, how people perhaps have the wrong idea of what constitutes a healthy diet. And yes, I helped contribute to that, <laughs> that misinformation because as a scientist, I never really checked the uh, original research on what constitutes a healthy diet. And, and when I did, I saw that there wasn't really any evidence for the diet that's being supported today by our policies on uh, what constitutes a healthy diet. In other words, a very high carbohydrate, low fat diet. And in fact, the reverse, uh, it turns out, is uh, what can be an, uh, an effective therapy to treat chronic disease and, and perhaps prevent it. And I say perhaps prevent it because it's almost impossible to demonstrate that a diet will prevent any kind of disease. The experiments would simply be too long, involve too many people, and since people have to eat, <laughs> they can be pretty expensive. So. Well, yeah, you cannot really demonstrate it because you can't get the empirical evidence that connects this to that. And then with the you know, remarkable array of uh, demonstrations of human biology, um, you know, for everybody it's gonna be slightly different. But as we yes. know, you know, uh, you are what you eat, aren't you? You are what you eat, absolutely. I mean, all the molecules that make up our, our bodies, the organic uh, compounds we get through our food, uh, that's the only source for them. And, and our cells are constantly replacing, if not themselves, they're replacing parts of themselves over and over again in a regenerative process. And so uh, you need to be sure that you're fueling your body with the right kinds of raw materials and the uh, energy providing molecules to optimize your health. If you get it wrong, uh, and I say this deliberately, it's kind of like putting sugar in the gas tank of your car. It just kind of gums everything up, slows it down, and eventually creates problems that need to be fixed. And we call Isn't that, that exactly disease. what sugar does in, in, in you as well? <laughs> well, it does for, uh, for many different reasons. So sugar, and, and when we talk about carbohydrates, I'm not saying that carbohydrates are bad. I'm just saying that excessive carbohydrates in the diet can cause disease. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to be true. And I can 
tell you at the cellular molecular level how we think that happens. Um, so, but what you want to do is, is limit your carbohydrate consumption. And in doing so, you're also limiting the insulin that you're secreting to get the glucose, which is the end result of that carbohydrate you're eating in your blood, into the body cells. So mm -hmm. uh, by chronically overeating carbohydrate, you're chronically secreting too much insulin and that hyperinsulinemia, which means too much insulin in the blood, um, that is one of the things that leads to insulin resistance. Um, and sugar, which is really what glucose is, and all carbohydrates are, are sugars or sugars connected together in things we call starches or glycogen. Mm -hmm. um, those sugars also cause inflammation. Um, they, they cause uh, the production of advanced glycated entities in the blood, uh, which stimulate an inflammatory response in the body. And they also kind of like sugar in your gas tank, they start sticking to proteins and so on and sort of gumming up the natural healthy processes in your body. So the good news is, I guess the really good news is that uh, we've discovered in the last 20 years in particular through good robust uh, research uh, on people with chronic disease that if you take that excessive carbohydrate out of the diet, we can talk again about different kinds of carbohydrates, but if you take it out, uh, a lot of these markers for chronic disease uh, reverse themselves. They go back to a healthy state. And in fact, uh, in particular with conditions like diabetes, in two-thirds of people we have now long-term uh, robust studies that demonstrate that they can reverse diabetes. In other words, they don't need to take any Type 2 uh, diabetes. Uh, yes, type 2 mm -hmm. diabetes, which is about 90% plus right. of diabetes. And that's the one that tends to correlate with you know, genetic predispositions and obesity and so on. And there's your third of the of the axis of illness, I call it, is obesity. So obesity right. in itself, uh, especially that mid-abdominal obesity, that extra um, fat, not the subcutaneous fat, but what we call the visceral fat around your organs, around your belly, that's really pro-inflammatory as well. Mm -hmm. And so in the, the axis, you know, if you think of a triangle with insulin resistance being an important contributor to chronic disease, inflammation and obesity, those three elements uh, are responsible for about 70% of all chronic disease. So when we're talking about chronic disease, we're talking about cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, even Alzheimer's, the, the major killers, the major causes of disease and disability. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. When I met you at the Dr. Rogers Prize Colloquium, uh, it came out in that uh, talk or in that series of presentations that the rate at which the change happens is quite remarkably fast. I was uh, stunned by the, the results that are backed up, uh, having measured what the change is in people who have made these dietary changes, uh, I, I guess adjustments or changes. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm, I still am surprised, and so are the physicians of the people that have been involved in our studies and so on. Um, now, can't, let's take cancer aside, but we're talking about diabetes. We have seen people that have been you know, chronically diabetic for more than a decade, taking insulin, metformin, and other drugs, uh, once they have adapted to a well-formulated ketogenic diet, which takes a couple of weeks, we can see them return to normal health so long as they stay on that diet. So no medication whatsoever. And this is really remarkable. And then their physicians say, look, what did you do? What did you change? They, well, I just, you know, stopped eating like sugar and carbs and stuff like that. And, it, and from my perspective, what we're doing is we're, we're reestablishing what is a natural uh, human healthy diet. Okay, but how do you do that? And, and so this leads yeah. to what is a well-formulated ketogenic diet? Because I go into the supermarket and go, 
okay, that doesn't fit that, 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 that. How, like, how do I understand what a well-formulated ketogenic diet is? Uh, well, partly why I wrote the book is the, right. first, the first half, it tells people why this all works. The second half is kind of how to do it in your own life. But, and I even have a shopping list and you can go on the website, biodiet.org, and you don't have to give me your email or anything. You can just yeah. have the shopping list. Essentially, what you want to do is eliminate, um, to, to, a well-formulated diet simply means it provides full nutrition. So all the yes. minerals and so on. And some people think a ketogenic diet is bacon and eggs or carnivore diet. Uh, it's not. I, I mean, it can be, but I eat, uh, I eat lots of vegetables and uh, a bit of berries, and I eat lots of nuts and things like that. But I don't eschew any kind of animal, uh, animal food. So fish, you know, chicken, uh, butter, cream, all that sort of. A lot of dairy. Um, my diet is probably seventy percent saturated fat, mm -hmm. uh, and um, so that so and because. Animal products are so much more dense in terms of the nutrients they have. Uh, if you ate an equivalent amount of vegetable matter to get the same, you know, selenium and and uh, iodine and iron, you just have to eat mountains of food, which you can do, but you'd be eating all the time, which is kind of what our hunter-gatherers had to do if they didn't have animal sources. They'd have to right. go around and do that. So, um, you know, a little bit of liver. It uh, just has an amazing concentration of nutrients for you, all the, all the nutrients that you need for a, for a healthy body. So, you know, I, I think you just said something magic there, though, a little bit of liver. Yeah. Like I was reading, I think going back to uh, the China study, uh, when they were talking about uh, the amount of protein that we consume these days. Well, when German scientists, going back to the 1800s, first determined, well, you need to have protein to replace the protein that breaks down in your body, and you need just a little bit. But then it was, somebody came along and said, well, maybe you should double the size of that just to be uh, safe. And then the food guy comes along and says, well, maybe you should double that too. It's the volume that we consume that be, starts to become a, an issue, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so there are essential proteins, essential amino acids. So you have to eat those because we can't synthesize them. Mm. There are essential fats and fatty acids that you have to eat. There are no essential carbohydrates, so you don't really need to eat any at all because your well, body can produce Well, then produce how do you enough. get carbohydrates? Well, your body uh, can produce the glu it, really just the glucose. That's what it needs, and that's the blood sugar is glucose. Mm -hmm. um, and you need a certain amount of it uh, in order to supply nerve cells and other cells in your body. And your brain. And your brain, but no. you don't need to consume that because your liver and your kidneys do this amazing thing called gluconeogenesis, which is literally the creation of new glucose from non carbohydrate sources mm -hmm. uh, from amino acids and from glycerol and so on. So you can produce, and you do when you're sleeping and when you're not eating, produce exactly the amount you need at any point in time uh, at that sort of base level that's needed. And, and that also helps to suppress the amount of insulin that's in your system. Uh, and too much insulin over time can cause that insulin resistance, which leads to disease. So, so your body can look after its own carbohydrate. It's the other foods you need. And speaking of protein, we haven't really uh, established an upper limit for protein. Um, oh, really? Well, when you mm. eat too much, you, it yeah. can start to putrefy in your gut and create that sort of problem. But um, we're pretty good at tolerating high amounts of protein. We're very good at tolerating high amounts of fat. But also, when you're eating protein and fat, it does suppress your 
hunger and, and it and mm -hmm. increases your satiety. And that's what these new semaglutide drugs are all about is really suppressing hunger, right? So They're you can do that naturally. They're mimicking that same thing. Well, why mimic it with a drug when you can do it with a food that tastes good, right? Well, that's, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my whole kind of thing is, you know, there's this notion of Occam's razor, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, which I'm is familiar with Occam's I razor. I bet you are. Yeah. So, yeah. It, so it's don't look for a more complicated solution to a problem <laughs> until you've first exhausted all the simpler solutions. Yeah. The simplest answer is probably correct. Yeah. Often it is, but yeah. at least address it first. Yes. So I would say rather than a view obesity and all these chronic diseases as these multifactorial, complicated, psychosocial factors, physiological factors, and so on, why don't we just say, well, if our natural human diet didn't have much carbohydrate, why don't we just reproduce that, which is what a well-formulated ketogenic diet does, and see what happens. And what we see is reversal of diabetes, reversal of the markers for, uh, for uh, cardiovascular disease. We see uh, improvements in neurological conditions too that improve, especially epilepsy. But we've also seen results with, with Parkinson's and even autism. So it's interesting because there's these metabolic diseases that respond well, which you would figure would if we're making mm -hmm. a metabolic change, but also these neurological conditions that improve. And, and if I look back to the sort of root cause of what might be causing those problems, it, it, lend, it takes me into the cell, into these little subcellular structures called mitochondria, which are the energy converters in the cell. And I think that's why a well-formulated ketogenic works so well, is it helps those mitochondria to remain healthy and they, they actually reproduce within your cells and reproduce in a healthy way. Um, uh, and that helps to maintain that overall systemic health. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. So does it help to uh, slow the aging process then? Because it's the dividing and replication of that, that the uh, telomeres at the end of the mitochondria yep. uh, that age us because they, they fray or break down or they're not as strong as the, uh, the copy that they're duplicating. Yeah, that's one of the theories of aging anyway. To, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> investigation into telomerase, which is the enzyme that regulates that and yeah. so on. Um, and yes, there is some evidence to suggest that, that ketogenic diets work. Uh, they affect telomerase and they do improve that. But I don't think, I mean, if you look at longevity in terms of a lesser likelihood of getting chronic disease, so you're going to live longer, uh, as opposed to longevity, you know, we want to push our average age up to 100 or 105 or 110 years or something like that. I like that idea. Supercentenarians? Um, as I get older, yeah. I'm liking it more and more. But, um, but really, you can look at sort of two things. If you have sort of your, your health over time, there's kind of your, your, your lifespan. So you start here very healthy and you end up down here, which is dead. Uh, and you're, and you're, what we want to do is increase your, your health span, not your lifespan. So your health span is how long can you stay healthy until eventually we all come to die. We just do. Right. Um, but what we're doing now with these immensely heroic technologies and efforts to maintain human life is we're allowing people to maintain what's an, an unhealthy lifestyle, you know, smoking, uh, drinking too much, eating lousy food, uh, not exercising enough, so that their health span actually begins to decline about middle age, and they end up needing medications, and, and increasingly it becomes more expensive. But their last you know, years are not necessarily healthy, enjoyable years. They're really right. just staying alive. So Dr. Ken Rockwood, are you familiar with his frailty scale? Mm, it's new to me. Oh, but... he's out of the Dalhousie University. Okay. This is an amazing thing. 
he said, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you never get on the frailty scale. Okay. Because once Sounds like on, the same thing as... Yeah. He said, basically, once you're on the frailty scale, he said, I can go, okay, you've become frail now. Based on where you are on this scale, mm. I can tell you exactly when you're going to die. Yeah. And I'm like, how? And he goes, entropy. Yeah. Once you're on that frailty scale, you will die within two to five years, depending on where you are. The magic in life is to make sure that you never wind up there. Never get there. Well, that, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because, because um, you know, if you look at this axis of illness, yeah. these three factors, again, insulin resistance, inflammation, obesity, um, on a well-formulated ketogenic diet, we can reverse all of those. You take the carbohydrate out. We're talking about sugars. Yes. We're talking about starchy things like, you know, potatoes, rice, pasta, bread, which are not nutrient-rich. And then, and then also... For a, for a well-formulated diet, you wouldn't want to eat seed oils, which are highly inflammatory. So more like olive oil and grass-fed butter and so on are, are healthy fats. Um, if you take that out, if you take that high, high glycemic index carbohydrate right. Right, that really raise your blood sugar quickly, that will raise your insulin levels quickly, we see those diseases reversing. Uh, in terms of their impact on an individual basis, and then we can map that out to populations. And when you consider, for example, that in the United States, and I, there's similar numbers in Canada, you know, divide by 10, but uh, there's an epidemic of obesity. So right now in the United States, uh, about 78% of everyone over 18 is either overweight or obese. Yeah. So they're not metabolically healthy by no. definition. Uh, and we know, and this is also some work that's come out of uh, John Little's lab, which is at uh, University uh, BC Okanagan, uh, working on the same diabetes study you were referring to earlier that we heard about at the, uh, the colloquium for the Rogers Prize. Uh, we know that we can actually start to predict the rate at which people will get diabetes 10 years in advance. They start mm -hmm. showing these changes that are going to lead to that because it's the chronic effects of this high carbohydrate diet, which pretty much everybody's eating these days, mm -hmm. that eventually causes first obesity, but then diabetes. And, and the reason I would argue is in this axis of illness is those things all make each other worse. You know, we, we can talk about the cellular molecular mechanisms where inflammation makes insulin resistance worse, insulin resistance makes obesity worse, and they all keep making it. So you get this positive feedback loop that eventually creates various forms of chronic disease. I would argue they're all the same root cause at the mitochondrial level in the cell, but we call them diabetes when your blood sugar is too high. We call it cancer when you start producing you know, mutagenic cells that spread through mm -hmm. the body. We call it cardiovascular disease when we start to see hypertension and, and issues with the heart. But really all of these relate to metabolic disease. They used to be called you know, uh, syndrome X or metabolic disease, that it's really the metabolic health we need to be looking at. Uh, and the most effective way to address that from what we've seen is, is change the diet, Take the high glycemic carbohydrate out. First thing you take out is sugar. Mm -hmm. um, and, well, are you talking about refined sugar or are you talking about juices, uh, sodas, yeah. like all that stuff? Well, anything mm -hmm. with fructose in it is going to be worse. So that's right. sucrose, is table sugar. Right. And, and I should mention, you know, on top of this, you know, I'm not a physician. I'm a researcher. I'm a nutrition scientist. Uh, and and, and uh, not everyone is well-suited for a ketogenic diet. So again, in the book, in the second part, I talk about the contraindications that you should discuss with a physician. Yes. So the, and, A physician that knows you. And that has knows a, you, yeah. yeah. And, and you should really get some blood work done at the start yeah. so that you know. I, I sort of ask kindly for people to give me 12 weeks of their life and I can kind of reverse their biological age by about 10 years through a ketogenic diet. But you want to have a, mm -hmm. a benchmark at the start and then 12 weeks later you want to measure those things again and see how it's working for you. 
Um, and uh, for seven out of eight people, it works well. Um, and for others, it doesn't work so well or not at all. And we don't really know why. In some cases, we do. And, but in some cases, there are absolutely contraindications. Mm -hmm. And it's usually quite rare genetic disorders that make you unable to metabolize the ketones that are produced on the diet. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. So we talk about taking out those high fructose, high, high glycemic foods. Yeah. And so many diets go, take this out, take this out, take that yeah. out. But what do we look at it and say, well, what should I be adding to my diet? Right. Um, and so what is it that people go, okay, I want to move into, move into this kind of, uh, you know, food consumption and management. What are the most important things that I should be adding to my diet right now as I say, I want to start this journey? Well, you know, again, I think the word diet is key in this conversation because I think a lot of people think of a diet as a short-term calorie-restricted way of losing weight, which we know fundamentally doesn't work and leads to yo-yo dieting and so right. on. So this is diet in terms of the food you eat is called our diet, our human diet. And uh, so what you would be adding is more fat. Mm -hmm. uh, more fat in the, and remember, fat is very dense. So if you took, I have a glass of water here, if you took uh, 2,000 calories, which would be a standard amount of calories we'd eat in a day, the amount of olive oil, olive oil you would need would be like about two-thirds of a cup, right? To get 2,000 calories. To get 2,000 calories. Wow. So it's very dense because there's no water in it. It's just, yes. yeah. Um, and, and so anything with fat, you know, butter, cream, I, I drink full fat cream in tea and things like that. Anything with a lot of fat in it is going to have a lot of calories. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're adding, but it do, you're not actually adding a whole lot more food. You're just changing the foods you eat. And even though you might be eating the same amount of calories, you're actually eating less mass. And, and one of the things that I always find interesting when I talk to people about, you know, calorie balance and versus, you know, hormonal approach to obesity is calories are not a measurement of weight. Mm. They're a measurement of energy. That's in, right. In, and that's, that's what they produce. Yeah. And so, you know, if you put those things in a bomb calorimeter, I don't know if you remember those from high school, you know, yeah. and you put stuff in there, you light it on fire, you measure the energy change and, and that's measured in calories. It's a unit of heat. But we're not closed systems and we're not bomb calorimeters. And it turns out that it's not necessarily how much you eat, it's what you eat that becomes important. And that's uh, sort of the carbohydrate hormonal theory of obesity. And there's one uh, great experiment they did recently on, on uh, mice, because again, it's, you know, for ethical reasons, it's hard to experiment with people on diet. Mm -hmm. But they had two uh, populations of mice, exactly the same food, exactly the same habits, living environment and so on. Uh, same quality, same amount of food, but one got a daily surplus bolus of insulin. So they just gave it extra insulin to, to um, sort of simulate hyperinsulinemia, too much insulin in the blood. Turned out that after about six weeks, 80% increase in weight in the mice just with the insulin compared to the other mice. Hmm. So insulin is a very powerful uh, growth promoter. Uh, and, and in terms of cancer research, you know, if you have uncontrollably growing metastatic cells in your body, accelerating that growth by having too much insulin is like adding, you know, fertilizer onto weeds. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're giving, and then the, the glucose is the fuel for cancer cells. A lot of people don't know that 
most cancers, between 60 and 90% of solid tumor cancers, are dependent on glucose. They, they can't um, metabolize anaerobically, or, or aerobically rather. Yeah. They, they're dependent on anaerobic fermentation, it was called, when it yeah. won the Nobel Prize. Um, so, so when you're eating a high-carb diet, not only are you giving those cancer cells more of the food it eats, but you're also giving it more of the fertilizer that it likes to grow. So you're kind of creating optimal conditions. And this is why we've hypothesized that a well-formulated ketogenic diet can be beneficial as an adjunct therapy for cancer because we can um, show that we moderate insulin levels, that we moderate glucose levels, and we've it, it's an early study, uh, pilot study, but we've shown uh, remission of cancer in, and these are women with metastatic breast cancer stage four, so they're very ill. And we've seen uh, what two things, and we've seen some reversal with imaging. We use uh, fluorooxyglucose and PET CT scans, but also in terms of the metabolic changes, are the same we get with like healthy athletes in their 20s. So the body's responding in the same way, whether they're really ill people that are you know older postmenopausal women or young athletes are responding the same way to this conversion to a well formulated diet. And by moderating the things that cancer cells like, we improve our immune system's opportunity to fight it off. And that's really what we're doing at the BC Cancer Research Center, is looking at the immunohistochemistry. So how these immune cells are talking to one another, uh, does that change on a ketogenic diet? And yes, we've seen changes, upregulation in some anti-tumor activity and downregulation of some of the pro-inflammatory activity, because inflammation also fosters cancer cell growth. Wow. Well, thank you. I wish we could go on longer. The book is The Keto Diet. Bio Diet. Or Bio Diet, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've got keto in my mind, yeah. Yeah, but it is The Bio Diet, and it's, uh, it's a great book. Well, thank um, you. And, they, and, and, yeah. and if they want to go to the website, biodiet.org, yeah. uh, and my wife and I actually read the book. She's my co-author. We read the book on the audio version, and there's uh, down, and you can also get it on an e-book version. But uh, it's, been, uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun ride. The book was much more successful than I ever yeah. anticipated and it gives me opportunities to talk to to smart people like you about very important uh, conversations that matter thank you for listening and please visit conversations that and become a subscriber and thank you to Audlin brown ad developments and stem cell technologies for their support